Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Britainology. Um, I am Milo Webbs. I'm joined as ever by our co-host, Nate Bethay. Hello. Lovely day. Warm day. One of maybe 30 we're going to get this year. So I'm very excited to enjoy, appreciate it all. Yeah. It is a very warm day and we're unusually for us outside of the basement. We are, um, we are in fact. <laughs> because we've, we've journeyed to, to the BBC, uh, to the heart of, to heart of the beast, um, uh, because uh, we're recording with a very special guest, Jeremy Vine. How are you doing? Hi. I, yeah, the belly of the beast. That makes us sound much more sinister than we are. Uh, but it's sunlit. <laughs> Come on, this room is sunlit. We've got windows. We've got mm. sun outside. We're feeling good. Or are we feeling good? I'm know. feeling great. I mean, this is yeah. definitely less. Uh, our, we record downstairs. Our office is upstairs. We get sunlight, but downstairs, no sunlight to be found. So this is this is yeah, quite exactly. nice. This is a. This, this is, is actually just to tell you. This is a an executive's office. They're not in Ooh. today. I don't know where they are, but um, the executive put in a very BBC way put pictures of her idols on the wall here, so you can see Johnny Marr, Stevie Wonder. Um, Muhammad Ali, Dylan, etc. Now, I and there was then a bizarrely a blank frame. No, it's just really faded. I think it's like Irish. Right. It oh looks God, like it was a, Nina Simone. Yeah, then. I was oh, going right, to say. Okay. That's yeah. <laughs> this is that's the ghost so of Nina Simone. <laughs> but so what I, I thought, uh, my hero is Elvis Costello. So I did the Elvis Costello one, oh, as right, you can okay. see. So it's a black and white picture of Elvis Costello, and I've then taken a picture of Elvis Presley, shrunk it, and placed it in his hands outside the frame. And no one's ever noticed that. He's, he's the bigger Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever said, Jeremy, that's brilliant. And sort that's like the something problem. Banksy would do. You know? It's the problem with this place is that those little touches are not appreciated. Well, Nate's actually quite a big Elvis Costello fan. I was going to say, we could just fan, completely so. sidewind the podcast and talk about Elvis Costello instead if we, if we felt like it. But, mm. uh, <laughs> I'm up for that. Yeah, we do. We that's been another. Uh, Nate likes to periodically buy me CDs um, that he likes, and I play them in the car because I sort of also live like it's thirty years ago and listen to CDs in my car, which I don't think anyone else does. Um, I'm sort of old before my time, but so one of them was an Elvis Costello CD. Oh, which yeah. one? I made him actually. I think I got you both Armed Forces and uh, this year's model. Yeah, this year's model that I've got in the car. Yeah, I preferred yeah, yeah. that. Well, to this year's model is, I think, the greatest rock album of all time. Very good choice. It's, it's very, especially that there's that uh, expanded edition of it that has the live tracks as well, yes. like them demoing Chemistry Class. Like, yeah, incredible stuff. Um, wow. But you, this was out before you were born. Yeah, How does yeah. That I'm not that. I mean, there's a song called Night Rally, and I was thinking that was mm. a little bit Trumpian. Yeah, it's funny too because I remember reading that apparently when they released that album in America, they cut Night Rally because they're like, it's too English. No one's going to understand it. <laughs> Which, in retrospect, I feel like, no, I think we could we could get it. But, uh, but while we're on our detour, I, there's a song on that, that album mm -hmm. called Little Triggers. And yeah. it's little triggers that you pull with your tongue. Little triggers. I don't want to get hung up, strung up when you don't call up. And mm. I was reading Middlemarch. The classic, you know, 1800s book. And then... Yeah, it's a, well, nice, a nice short read, isn't it, that one? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, I was reading it on Audible, so I had it in my ears while I was cycling. Uh, okay. But, but one of the characters said, little triggers that you pull with your tongue. And I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Elvis has lifted a line from <laughs> Middlemarch and we thought he was a punk. <laughs> I like the idea of getting pulled over by the cops and having to turn down the Middlemarch audiobook that I'm blasting. <laughs> Excuse me, officers. Sorry, I'm not I trying haven't... to be cross with you, officers. I'm just furious at Elvis Costello right now. Please don't make me explain. Yeah, plagiarizing. Um, George Eliot, is it Middlemarch, I think? Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? No, or was she middle on the floss? I'm just trying to... Yeah. George Eliot wrote quite a few. I had to do a George Eliot book when I was I at school. I can't recall. I remember having to read Middlemarch, and I think it's George Eliot, but I yeah, do not I'm recall pretty sure it is. the yeah, I had to read Silas Marner at school, which might be one of the most boring books ever <laughs> written. Some of them were dull, weren't they? The, the Mayor of Casterbridge, oh my God. <laughs> I, well, I mean, starting a tradition, a long-held tradition of British mayors being extremely boring... Um, oh, have we got a tradition of that? I suppose we have compared to American ones. Yeah. Um, we've got this. There's a guy who was elected in the local elections recently. Look for Rahman, who's not boring. Okay. Ben Livingston wasn't boring. But no, no most of them true. are. Most of them yeah. are boring. Ben Livingston, for all the criticisms you might level at him, was certainly not boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we had, I mean, I know we're sort of about US British here. We had the British equivalent of that was when the guy who ran the cooperative bank and I think his name was the Reverend Paul Flowers. <laughs> then, <laughs> name alert. Yeah, name alert. That, that's my new uh, indie band. Yeah, well, he, it all started when he was at a uh, select committee and the MP, one of the MPs said, how much is your bank worth? And he said, nine million. And I think the number was just pulled off the top of his head because it turned out to be 90 billion. Right, okay. 
But then a whole load of other stuff emerged around, uh, you know, drugs and whatever, and all kind, but of, basically drug dealing and ah. Uh, You'll have to look it up. And make sure it's all legal. This bit of the <laughs> this bit of the podcast, but name alert and libel alert, major yeah. name alert and libel alert. So Paul Flowers was our equivalent of Rob Ford. Gotcha. So you notice right, the guy's okay. a vicar and he runs a bank, but he did all the same stuff. <laughs> well, I noticed this is also this is quite topical and also sort of circles back to the Jeremy Vine show because I I caught a bit of your show in the lobby and noticed you were talking about Keir Starmer's beer and curry gate, um, and so as a result, we were just kind of checking in on where that was at and in the, on the subject of extremely boring British political scandals. I note that now one of the big controversies is whether or not Keir Starmer returned to work after having his curry and a beer. Dreadful, isn't it? I mean, this has got to be the one of the dullest scandals ever. But then we, you, we do have good ones. You think about mm. the guy last week who was Googling tractors. <laughs> and, yes, yes, we've spoken about Which is him, now yes. a phrase for looking at porn. Yeah. And he was doing it inside the House of Commons chamber and he had to resign. So that, that, was, at, that was at a higher level. But no, this, this thing about the beer is... Uh, mm. I know that in 100 years, we're not even going to understand why we were debating whether it was wrong to have a curry. It won't make any sense at all. But it does have a lot of traction with the audience because a lot of them, A, obeyed the rules, and B, then they lost relatives and they couldn't go to funerals. Mm. Yeah. And that's why they're really, really cross about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the, uh, the porn thing also was very interesting. And we had a like, uh, because I think the guys, the exact line that he had was that the first time he'd gotten onto the porn site by accident while looking for a tractor. And the second time he just revisited it deliberately, which implies that it has excellent marketing. Like it's got good user retention. He's on there <laughs> even accidentally. He's he's back. He's like, I, I thought I like when he person. said I was looking at a tractor and someone said, what was the tractor called? And he said, uh, the Dominator. I was <laughs> sure that was a made up name, but there is actually a tractor called it's a combine harvester called the Dominator. Mm. Yeah, that's what completely Show that Weetoo's boss, uh, like editor's note. But Riley, when we edited that episode talking about the story, made me put the Wurzels. I've got a brand new combine harvester at the uh, <laughs> at the end of the episode as the outro music. I didn't understand why, and now I get it. Yeah, well, that's what Britonology is for, you know, to explain <laughs> things like the Wurzels. Um, yeah, that is a, a absolutely classic song. But they only really had one hit, I think. But what's it based I'm on? I'm a cider drinker, I think that will say. I am a cider drinker. I drink it most every day, yeah. I drink cider all day. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the song, the Wurzels song, was based on a different song, which was a classic pop hit, but I can't remember what it was and called. And I don't know what it is either. It's called Brand New Key or something? Or- oh, okay, right. Oh, I didn't know this. And yeah. I think there was also like a, like a Sam Missile style IRA song that was also based on this one. Oh, because really? people were talking about like, yeah, hearing the outro music, they're like, I was expecting the lyrics to be very different. I was like, oh, okay. Once again, I, uh, I'm, I'm learning that stuff's got layers and layers to it. I mean, the provisional Wurzels, <laughs> the real Wurzels. <laughs> yeah. the, the whole provisional thing... I don't get, I'd never understood as a, as a teenager growing up, I knew the provisional IRA were very, very dangerous and very, very bad. But I never understood why they were provisional. Like what was the, and of course, to understand that, you have to go right back into the mist of time to find a group called the official. the Easter Rising, right? I think even. Mm, I think it's probably later than that, but it's the official yeah. IRA who are a bit better behaved. And then the provisionals right, okay. were off the side of them. Gotcha. So, mm. but you know, that was never explained. So, to me, if I heard the word provisional, immediately my, I was on alert that something very bad was happening. Yeah, you, you get your first learner's permit driving license. It's got a little balaclava on. You know? <laughs> yeah, um. exactly. My provisional license meant I could drive my car at people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was thinking about it too. I mean, that's with uh, local elections in Northern Ireland now, there being a significant presence for Sinn Fein. It seems like that'll also be a topic that might come up on the radio. It did. Do you know what it did today? And thank you for listening. Oh, right. um, yeah, the first item on the show was, are we heading? for a united Ireland. So we're thinking that obviously one of the key, I'm <laughs> just thinking for you as an American trying to explain this is, an, is a nightmare. But when my kids were young and they said, you know, what country are we from? For a, almost any other country in the world, it's easy to answer. You're a Canadian, you're from Canada. You're an Indonesian, you're from Indonesia. Here it's like, I don't even know. I think it's Great Britain, but I also think it's the UK. Mm. And I think you're English, but then I don't want to say you're not Scottish because you can go up there without a passport. And then Northern Ireland is on your passport as well. So it's Great Britain of the... Hang on. I don't even know. It's the, My passport says the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's a hell of a stretch, you know, and, mm. and I'm trying to tell a four-year-old this. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I did actually learn this at one point where the British Isles is everything. Great Britain is the big island. So Scotland, Wales and England. People take a little bit of umbrage to the British Isles now, though, because that sort of yeah. lumps the Republic of Ireland in. They're like, yes, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. British anymore. And the, United, and the United Kingdom includes Northern Ireland, but not Southern Ireland. Right. Yeah. But also they take umbrage at the idea of the mainland, as in Great Britain being the biggest island, because then the island of Ireland says, well, hang on a minute. Why aren't, aren't we the mainland? So very difficult to get it right. But the, the upshot of the local election thing is Sinn Féin did re- very well. They're obviously the the nationalist party in the sense of being an all-Ireland party. And, mm. and the maybe in the next 100 years, we speculated, we'll see. No, maybe the next 30 years, uh, United Ireland. It could just be England at the end of all this on its own. That's been a, an ongoing mm. joke for us. Uh, the, the possibility that, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wind up in just the United Kingdom of England. And that uh, <laughs> maybe England and Wales. I mean, possibly. I know I our Welsh if, listeners if it, would lose their minds uh, me saying they that. They would but. lose. I think the, 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 the interesting thing would be that obviously the Scottish go independent and so do the Northern Ireland joins Ireland. The, the, the Welsh have got to follow. Surely they, they're going to say, look, we're not having this anymore. And, and you do end up. And then maybe London goes independent as well, becomes like Monaco. <laughs> I, it would, it would we be could very, all get a Gucci belt. I was going to say it would know. be very funny to have the Republic of London on your passport. You feel like you're in like a you know 16th century city state. Like <laughs> I'd have to cross Geneva the border or driving or something in like that. Yeah, yeah Monte Cristo. But yeah. when when the royals were touring, now you see you can explain this to me. They were in the Caribbean, and it, suddenly, although there've been royal tours all my life and there haven't been a problem, a whole load of stuff came up that mm. made things very difficult. And they hadn't foreseen any of it, which is quite interesting to me. And it wasn't the Queen. It was it obviously wasn't Andrew who's locked in a laundry basket somewhere. So it was I think <laughs> he's f- into that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Self-locking. So it Him was Him and Boris uh, Becker are stuck in there, yeah. <laughs> it was William and Kate, and then it was Edward and Sophie. And they, they were doing this tour and it kept going wrong. And it was Belize and was it Antigua and Barbuda and And then Jamaica, I think. Yeah. Mm. And you know, all, all British people struggle with, are they still ours? We, we, you know, which one are they independent or Belize is a, because we have got overseas territories, territories yeah. and I think we only have 14 of them and the Falkland Islands will mm. be one. Yeah. Yeah. Pitcairn Island. Pitcairn. Yeah, Trist- yeah. Trist- Tristan de Cunha. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Gibraltar. Something uh, like Antar- Great Antarctica or some. Yeah. A lot British of them are uninhabited. Yes. That yes. yes. Yeah. God, yeah. you're good at this. Oh yeah, is well, he name all fourteen? <laughs> no, I think we're we're, we're going to see if I win a mug or something. We're going to stumble on like Saint Helena, and all of our listeners are oh, yeah. going to be Ascension Island, famously yeah, because Billy yeah. Patel wanted to build a sort of That's concentration true. camp there. That's yeah, true. That yeah. Oh right, because once I was outside the, the House of Parliament, and there were fourteen flags, and they were the flags of the territories, and it was right, the okay. most obscure quiz question ever: is mm. which of the fourteen? Yeah, I mean, I presented a quiz show called Eggheads, and this came up once of how many territories are there, and the options were 14, 44, or 400, and someone went 400. <laughs> so they're living it like 200 years ago, you know. That, that, that reminds me of the, the, the theory test mm. for getting your driver's license here, where you think it's going to be something to stress about, but some of the multiple choice questions are like, you're, you, you recently had an argument with your spouse, and you were about to drive, but you're in, an, you're in a bad mood. Should you drink alcohol to calm down, drive as fast as possible, you know, uh, park on the center island and sleep or slow down? So like if yeah. you can't if you can't figure out that question like it, you probably don't have any business doing it. Yeah, no, I think so, and I think that this is kind of a good bridge into like I like because I we were talking about this before we started recording, but I've I've listened to the Jeremy Vine show a lot um, because my mum listens to it. Oh, um, thank you. So my mum just has kind of radio two on all day, sort of in the background, and I sometimes find that I listen to it more than she does because she sort of just kind of is there. She kind of dips in and out, and I'll be like doing emails at the kitchen table or something, and I just suddenly become aware of what's being discussed. And I think what really fascinates me about your show, and it's why I post about it, is the kind of the transitions that it makes from one topic into another. Um, I mean, the one the one that I always come back to is discussing how, how evil are ISIS um, and sort of having people calling in suggesting, are they as evil as the Khmer Rouge? Are they as evil as the Nazis? And then you just smoothly go, next up, bricklaying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Undoubtedly, um, I'm just trying to think of an absolute classic. It was next chick sexing, but first James Blunt. That was one of them. <laughs> and it is all to do, I think, in a funny way that, that journalism is all about range now. So it's about being able to mm. do very silly and very serious, or almost in the same breath. But the joy of this this wonderful station that we're sitting in is I can play records. So I can, I can put the eagles yeah. between 
ISIS and bricklaying. <laughs> well, that's the sort of thing I, I was going to say. My yeah. own big Eagles fan, he'll definitely he'll definitely be a loyal listener for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's oh, really? the, so we've hit both. We've got the Elvis and the well, Eagles. And, here. and the funny God. thing is, too, is that as mm. part of our show, we have uh, started doing doing extended uh, like comedy skit bits that then wind up requiring us to write songs where the skit takes fifteen minutes and the song takes like 10, 15 hours for us to work on. Mm. And invariably, Milo's like, "I want to play an Eagles song," and I'm like. Uh, I want to play a, I don't know, a Duran Duran song or a level 42 song or something like that. I, I'm not mm. that into early 80s British music, but there are some things that I point to for him. Yeah. And so we wind up with this sort of mishmash where it's like he wants to play something off of like, I don't know, what's, uh, what like is it? In the fast lane. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We've had a discussion about that. And I'm like, I, I haven't asked to play Little Triggers, but I have been like, oh no, we should play Crawling to the USA or something like that. That's a great <laughs> song. And Milo's just like, what What am I listening to? What's What's that <laughs> organ doing? So mm. uh, yeah, it's been... um. It's been interesting for us, but uh, we don't do call-in, so we don't have the public. We get comments, we get emails, we get DMs mm. on Twitter, but we don't have people calling in to voice their opinions. And if they did, it'd be a very different show. There was, mm. a, there was a Russian general, I can't, oh, what was his name? Maybe it was Van Moltke, who said, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy, which is a yeah, brilliant yeah, line. Yeah. And a radio show is like that. You know, once, once you open mm. the line, once you open the lines here... The whole thing is blown to smithereens, you know, mm. and, and that's the joy of it. So we don't really know what the news is until they tell us. And the the size, the, as it happens, Radio 2 is a very big radio station. So we do mm. get, it's quite a big dragnet when we say, you know, have you got blonde hair and you fell down a manhole? We'll get somebody sure. who has, you know. <laughs> have you ever accidentally sprayed super glue in your eyes instead of eye drops in the middle of the night because you put the wrong thing on the bedside table. Yep, two people ring up and they've done that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing research tool, but it means that we don't really know what, what's in the show until the show's finished. Yeah, because I think it's something that like, I think that's very interesting to us is because we are sort of also broadcasters in, in a sense, but we work with what is like an extremely cult audience, whereas you're at the complete opposite end of the spectrum of working with the broadest possible that's audience true. and it's not i think that it probably i can't be very arch and i you know things need to be quite clear why mm. are we doing this story and the question is usually a stories are questions not statements that's the other mm. change from my news background because it used to be about telling people things now it's about asking them so it's mm. you know would you go sunbathing in your front garden question mark yeah is it acceptable <laughs> Call us and now. You, will, you will get a range of opinions you will get a lot of views on that a lot there's a, there's a big debate on that at the moment and another one that i vividly remember and it's one that my mum and i discuss a lot and recall is um uh, how loud is your loudest household appliance because <laughs> i believe that the news headline that had sparked it off was something along the lines of some household appliances are as loud as a petrol lawnmower yeah kettle one kettle had been rated by witch as being as loud as a lawnmower right and actually i've lost faith in witch as a result of this story because I thought I quite fancy having a kettle that's mm. as loud as a lawnmower. I mean, they scored it down, obviously. Right, okay, but I, yeah. quite like, I think if you're brewing a cup of tea, you want to hear it, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, got, I got the very kettle. It's in my kitchen. And I put it on every day, and it's, it's not as loud as a lawnmower. Fake so news. Yeah, it you're is on the Martin kettle. <laughs> I want a proper rever. Well, what I loved about this, though, was you had one guy call in, I think it was in the West Country somewhere, who was like, right, this is how loud my kettle is. And he puts it on. And then he said, I've also brought in my lawnmower for comparison. It starts up. So it's obviously completely <laughs> deafening. You're trying to ask him to turn the lawnmower off. He's just yelling what into the phone. Um, and I did, Yeah, that kind of chaos is just Thank not something that you get on. Milo, that's great. I love that you listen. Yeah, because well, funny enough, we've had a real technical issues recently with the fact that uh, this will sound minor, but it's not the fact that iPhones have mm. some sort of noise cancelling. So unbelievably right. now, someone will say, have a listen to my lawnmower and the blooming iPhone will cancel <laughs> the noise. And you say, can you hear that? It's deafening. Say, no, we can't hear anything. Um, so we're going to we're thinking of appealing to Apple saying, take all the tech off. <laughs> Have a Jeremy Vine mode, little slider exactly. in the menu. Yeah, sure. you've got airplane mode, then you've got then you've got Jeremy Vine mode. Um, I because I think there's there's a sort of interesting thing about um, like I think your show provides insights into stuff that it never occurs to me that people are bothered about. And then I get this sort of fascinating cornucopia of like bugbears that people have. I've just I went back through times I've tweeted about the show just to find interesting ones. From the thirtieth of March, twenty twenty, uh, I wrote: Jeremy Vine is currently on Radio Two hosting a heated debate between a jogger and a dog walker about who is more entitled to their space on the pavement. Oh yeah, big one. Yeah, yeah. people get very angry about joggers barging past them. So right. if, if a jogger feeling that 
that the he, she can actually just run straight through a group of people. That's a big issue. I mean, another big one actually is, well, yeah, I was going to say cycling, but that's, that goes without saying (laughs) anything to do with parking. So, we want, right, one okay. of the biggest items we ever did was do now you, we're into my bugbears. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> do you own the space outside your house? Now in the states, it's not a problem. Not at all. Because no. because you've got you know typically either driveways or it's completely un, it's metered regulated by the city. But yeah, you don't or there's have, no pavement or yeah. whatever you know. Uh, but the, but people here believe that the space in the road outside their house is their parking place. Mm. And when we did this item, we got people who taken incredible measures to make sure they kept it. One guy had bought another another car, real just a lump of metal, really, and he was he was parking it um, while he went to work. He would reverse it into his space inverted commas. He'd take his actual car to work, and then when he got back home, he would park his actual car and then remove. The other car. I don't know where he put it, yeah, though. To where? It's strange. Yeah, or to a nearby playing field or something. Car Jenga in your, just to preserve one And thereby one spot. he still has to walk back from the nearby playing field. But he's kept his space. That's the key thing. One of the things that's interesting, though, about the U.S. that you'll see in places like Chicago or Philadelphia, which are cities where typically in the urban center or like, you know, in the near urban center, you don't have a lot of driveways, you don't have a lot of parking, is people will do the exact same thing, except they'll put lawn chairs or garbage cans out to block their spot. I've seen it with and wheelie bins. If you, yeah. if, you, if you move someone's bins, like they'll come and dump snow on your car and be like, no, that's my spot. Wow. So we have this phenomenon too it's just uh it's invariably it's like someone puts a lawn chair and you're supposed to know the score that like you're not allowed to park there because i'm mm. saving my spot um well but, in britain of course the bins are sacred so you never move someone's bins. right bin. i have no. it on my street i live in peckham and there's a guy with a, his blue recycle bin he has hand painted in a very kind of angry block script if you touch my bins i will kill you <laughs> and, I, and i took a Goodness. picture of this and tweeted and i was like people are like oh there's so many you know internecine complicated things about british politics and i'm like no it's just this this is it if you understand this you understand it here we had yeah bins are big aren't they we had a, a similar a, a split on our road about this issue of that the I think the bin operatives decided that they weren't going to use they weren't going to use some sort of lifting equipment because it wasn't strong enough for them. Right. And half the residents were saying how disgracefully lazy, and the other half were saying, "Well, if you're a bin person, you've got to protect your back." So it's a really interesting split on whether you whether bin people, and a lot of it comes down to this actually is should we be living like we were 30 years ago. Fundamentally, <laughs> yes. so mm. when bin people had a metal bin that they hoisted on their back. And, and Jeremy, a lot of us think Jeremy, that's better. We wrote a song about this, talking about this phenomenon, about I remember when the bin man was hard because it has such traction. Yes. Like genuinely, we've, I've only lived here four years and even I observed this and hear the metal yeah, bins yeah, quandary yeah. from my neighbors. It's so, way, so, so another example would be the mm. constant calls on my show for the return of what's called life on Mars style policing, which is life oh, on God, Mars being yeah. the, the police 70s brutality. Reboot, yeah. Yeah. When, when people were scared of the police, you've got this guy, Gene Hunt, the fictional figure mm. who would drive I'd around. It was, was it an Audi he was driving? A Quattro. Yeah. Audi yeah, Quattro. Yeah. And you'd be thrown across the, the bonnet. And so listeners would say, why can't we get back to life on Mars style policing? And then we had a bit of it at Charing Cross Police Station where it was right. revealed about six months ago that officers at Charing Cross had been swapping the most disgusting sort of texts about women and everything else. And I thought, well, that's the downside of it, that you mm. end up with very, very backward-facing policing if you really want to go that way. So it's not quite clear that we'd be better off if you were, inverted commas, scared of the police. But mm, that, no. that's what, why can't they just bust them first and ask questions <laughs> later? Well, I find this this is a big thing I think that we talk about on this show a lot is that a lot of, I, I think, I mean, it's it's a, the case everywhere, but I think it's like a particular valence in British politics of people are uh, very engaged with kind of fantasies that aren't, it's not really about the police. It's about some other perception of like personal identity or whatever, but it's kind of like, yeah, a policeman used to hit me over the head of his trunch and never did me any harm. Absolutely. Never did me any harm should be the title of my show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bullying at school. I mean, you know, so, so bullying at school never did me any harm. Let, let's run that as a story. And then you just end mm. up with people saying, no, I, my life was destroyed by it. So you, in the end, it doesn't quite match the reality. Yeah, well, bullying at school is such an interesting one because I definitely encounter a lot of people in my life who are bullied too much at school and also people who weren't bullied enough. And that Goldilocks <laughs> zone, I think, is hard to determine. I, we've, we've tried occasionally to run counter to the listeners. So we've tried mm. with bullying to say, is it possible to argue that some bullying is good for you because it sort of mm. knocks you into shape, makes you tougher, whatever? Goes nowhere. All that happens is 
people ring up and they just tell these awful stories about being bullied. We tried it as well with animal cruelty. We, we, we realized that mm-hmm. the number of stories that suggested that maybe we were taking cruelty to animals more seriously than we were taking cruelty to humans. And it was triggered by a guy who'd come home drunk from the pub and strangled his pet parrot. And he got a... <laughs> it sounds like the start of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to strangle you. Anyway, so having killed his parrot, he's then given a suspended prison sentence, which is quite a serious thing. And I then noticed the same week, some police officers had given a press conference about a dog had been thrown off a bridge by some teenage yobs. And the police, A, they'd had a press conference, and B, the senior police officer said, we need to find the people who did this because they are beyond evil. <laughs> so I thought, well, beyond evil, where are we on Pol Pot or Hitler? I'm not sure mm. people, you know. Anyway. And then you've re- got to tie that back to bricklaying. So that's when you, the challenge really exactly, comes in. Exactly. Yeah. Then it gets tricky. But so we do that story. The same thing happens. Is that all that people do is if the, the penalty now for, you shouldn't be a suspended sentence for, for killing a parrot. It should be life. They should make them suffer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I realized that you can't, there's no way you can do anything arch or clever with certain subjects. Yeah. Bullying or cruelty to animals being mm. two of them. What I don't understand is that that parrot was a grass and it was going to dob him <laughs> in. That's why he had to do it. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of saw this one up close because um, I have a weird trajectory to becoming a podcaster. But I, a long, long time ago, mm. I, was, I was an army officer in the US and I spent time in Afghanistan. And this last year was involved significantly with trying to like help people as much as possible to get out. But like there wasn't really any good stories to tell. Basically, people who got to the airfield got out mm. if they got past the perimeter in the first day. Otherwise, basically, no one got past the perimeter and they didn't get out. And so you had all these like horror stories and people being like, you know, I know someone who's got charter flight seats. Can you help someone? Like, here's here's a, a number on Signal or on WhatsApp for someone. They might be able to help you. And it was this disaster. And in the background of this, we were watching the stuff about the whole the Pen Farthing saga. And it did seem like there were a number of people who were just like, well, no. There were, I think, whose show was it on LBC where someone basically said, if the people are being evacuated are human beings, but they didn't help the British military, then it's more important to bring dogs back. And I was like, I'm not trying to say this is indicative of everyone in Britain or even a majority of people in Britain, but it does feel like that opinion will come out. And it's like, we would stay away mm. from, we don't really do the sort of call in topics in a lot of ways where we'll make kind of make fun of it, but we would stay away from that topic because you'll get responses like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you, there will be an argument that, that mm. dogs have priorities, uh, priority over humans. I mean, there, there will definitely be listeners who mm. call in to say that. And I wouldn't want to knock them for, you know, if they want to say that, they can say it. But the argument is normally dogs didn't start this war. <laughs> yeah. <Right? laughs> yes. that's, that's the argument. And and therefore, you know. How I do mean, you know that? I've seen some dogs. That- <laughs> I remember, wasn't it in Fallujah? Was it Syria where they were, there was a big campaign to get the dogs out as well when that city was flattened by the Russians? I I, I think it probably would have been in Syria. Um, but yeah, in God would be like Homs or Aleppo or something like that. I just remember it was always, it always took me aback. For one, there's a different culture around adoption in a country like Afghanistan. So like there isn't really a formal process. People have huge families and typically if a child is orphaned, then they are brought into their Mm. their parents' relatives' families. And if you wanted to adopt a child from Afghanistan, for example, um, you know, it would have to be an Afghan American family. Like it would be they'd probably have to be if they're Shia or Sunni, they'd have to be probably the same ethnicity. But you could do it, it's very hard. But they're basically if you're American, you can't. If you're Westerner, you can't. But you can spend about $5,000 to adopt a dog from Afghanistan. And it has to go through quarantine in Pakistan. It has to be given inoculations. And then you fly it home. And it's like, part of me is like, I understand why people would want to do this. Like they, they've, But the other time, I'm just like, mm. the irony of this does not escape me. That mm. like, you know, I encounter a lot of stray dogs. And I also encounter a lot of, of, of children who are in very, very dire circumstances. And I know there are people in the US who would want to take care of, like help these kids out. But you can't really. And so seeing that mm. stuff put forward, it's sort of like, here's an opportunity for people to get out. And uh, you hear that argument being made. Like, obviously, I'm not your average listener on this topic. Mm. But there were times when I was just like, man, this is... On one hand, yeah. I want to make a joke out of it. But also, like, I can't pretend you wouldn't hear that argument voiced in America, too, unfortunately. Mm. It just seems like... I mean, this goes back a long way in Britain. I remember yeah. being about 13 and being somewhere in like a waiting room. And I had a copy of The Sun. And The Sun, on the same page, was running two different campaigns. One of which was... Uh, to bring back hanging to punish some youths who yep. had murdered a dog. And the other of which was uh, that 
Katie Price or Jordan was planning on having a breast reduction and the sun was mounting a keep them campaign. (laughs) (laughs) I thought really addressed the two ends of the psyche that we're dealing with. (laughs) The duality of the British man, basically. I don't know why. I don't know whether we're the most animal loving country in the world. I don't know, but we must be near the top. It's Mm. it's just the way people dote on their their dogs and cats and pets and so on. And Mm. and also there's a big conservation thing as well. I think, you know, I think that's all, it's all pretty healthy in a way. It's just, obviously it goes to extremes when, when we see cruelty, that's a particular thing. And and the idea, I think, uh, one of our co-hosts is um, his, his family, his parents moved to the United Kingdom from Uganda there, Gujarati, but he grew up in Kent and has lived here his entire life. And he has reported on extremism and on far right stuff in the UK a lot. And one of the points he made was that a lot of these pages would start out with animal lover stuff to build an audience. Like they knew mm. they could get people to sign on Facebook. Like, aren't these puppies adorable? And then it's like, and now we're going to talk about Sharia law and halal slaughter. And like, it's almost seamless after having built an audience of like 300,000 people share this. If halal slaughter should be illegal. And that, that we generates- have a running joke about like a Facebook group that has like a 500,000 members that's called I Remember the Milkman. <laughs> and then like <laughs> the top post in it is like the Muslims are taking over. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> There's a particular kind of Facebook group that, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, you see this from the other side. These people call it and you get, you get some real interesting opinions. So like, does this enter into your conception of like, when you think of the average person, the average British person, do you filter in the fact that you are in contact with people who have, for better or worse, the time to call in on a radio show and voice their opinion? Well, yeah, that's a great question because I, I don't have a particular picture in my mind of the average listener. If I did, it would be a, a I guess, a, a mum in her 50s with, with teenage kids who are probably about to head off to college or jobs or whatever. Mm. So that, that's definitely the actual fact of, of who the average listener is. But I don't, and also I don't, I, uh, all I would say is that it, the, the listener is outside London. That's the key thing. Mm-hmm. One of the yeah. weird things about this city that we're in is it is so atypical of the UK. And I was brought up just south of here in Surrey. And I was shocked the first time I was on a plane and I saw that there were so many fields and farmlands because I just assumed everything was roads and houses. So mm. I think that, you know, the country is very, very different from London. So my, my, my thought is it's a regional person, probably a mum in middle age, you know, and no more than that. Um, and I don't, mm. it, also the other thing is who calls in, you know, because actually you're going to call if you're furious. And the, mm. this is the classic statistical quirk, isn't it? That all the call- callers are furious. Yeah. And therefore I end up thinking the whole country's furious. But maybe it's just the people who call who are furious. I mean, people, uh, Mm. the the thing that amazes me always is when you put two callers on together, they've never met each other before and they will start arguing with with each other as a reflex, (laughs) just as a reflex on Keir Starmer should resign. No, he shouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're doing the Alistair Campbell putting two phones together and just letting it's them probably have the best way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm a figure with with everything that's happened in the last six years in this country. It sort of feels like you've basically your your job is sometimes to put two bees in a jar and shake mm. it because yeah, if you yeah, yeah. Me that. Brec- with Brexit, with the Brexit agreement, with the 2019 election, with uh, with COVID lockdown policies, all the stuff. I mean, I've seen everything from. I mean getting handbills in the post about 5G, you know, causing mm. coronavirus and things along those lines to, to stuff where I would say it was advocating for a level of, uh, of, of lockdown that I feel like unless the government was going to give people money, they probably wouldn't be able to get anyone to support it. But it's been very strange to watch mm. because I'm just reminded that, uh, that like, even if I turn it off, even if I'm not on social media, if I'm not listening to the radio, like this debate is raging and it's happening outside. And oftentimes the flashpoint is like a headline about dinghies arriving off the coast mm. uh, you know i don't understand why it's got so black and white because i don't feel 20 years ago i was i was a political correspondent and it mm. wasn't so polar or bipolar whereas mm. now i call this the era of tbclc which is trump brexit covid and leicester city winning the premiership so all the things <laughs> you don't expect happening at once and the very first referendum was the Scottish... Jamie Vardy at the centre of yeah. this huge spider diagram. Massive! Red tape everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the, the Scottish independence referendum went, in a way, it went, it was the one that was out of character. It went with the status quo. Everything else went the wrong, went the way you didn't expect. And uh, particularly all the elections, I do the graphics mm. for the general elections, and we have really failed to predict them since 2010. So 2010, 2015, 2017, 2019. All of them were... Predictable. Big surprises. Trump yeah. was predictable. Brexit was predictable. So what's going on? 
And mm. it's just I, we've lost control of it. You know, it's the joy of mm. it, isn't it, that I'm sitting here in the BBC and previously I would have known stuff and now I don't know anything at all. I mean, yeah. it, we had a similar phenomenon in the sense that the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And we we're like, oh, is this opening a portal to a dark dimension? Because this hasn't <laughs> happened since like the 20s. And then Trump mm. won. Is that Leicester like, City, the Cubs? Well, I was going to say the, oh, the Cubs. The Cubs were like one of the famous losing franchises in Major League Baseball. Really? Like, even when they'd make mm. I, I know they made it to the World Series in 2003, but they didn't win. Uh, but they're, they're mythologized to have been cursed. Yeah, right, they were cursed right. by a, basically something to the effect of like a farmer was outside. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the venue. And um, they, he was like trying to sell a goat. Wrigley Field? Is that Yeah, Wrigley Field. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And they made, you know it, and I don't. Well I know Comis- done. I know Comis- just Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know. My brain is just a repository of. Brilliantless reference points. I mean, this is another reason why I love your show, which we can get on to. <laughs> yeah, I, I only know Comiskey Park, which is the White Sox. And if I'd said right. that one for the Cubs, then like some random Chicago fan would You'd find somehow the show. someone would have found a way to call yeah, in fully, this show, fully yeah. called into Trash Future. Yeah, but um, yeah, they'd done, they'd done, they'd always choked in the last minute, and then they won. So it was like I think it was the first time they'd won the World Series since like 1929, and. Um, and then it was like, all right, chaos dimension. So you mm-hmm. had the same thing. That's the tectonic plates is a, is a, is a yeah. unusual sporting event is what starts it. I mean, you could also say that same time the, uh, the, the primary had been going on. Nobody expected Bernie Sanders to do as well as he did. Nobody expected um, Trump to oh, like get once this, the, the access Hollywood tape mm. came out, people thought he was done. And it was sort of like his, his voters were like, no, we talk like that too. So like, you know what? We're good with it. <laughs> but the, I do think the Trump thing is one where we have total connection because we... I think the Brits understand that whole thing. Sure. And mm. in the same way that you watched it like a show and part of you enjoyed it and part of it you were horrified by it. We had the same, I think, in this country. Mm. Yeah. The Trump, I mean, the disinfectant moment obviously was brilliant, but there were a lot of mm. standout, like when they had that COVID uh, ceremony, that ceremony during COVID to appoint that new Supreme Court judge. And it was a, like the super spreader event. There were more cases reported there than there were in the whole of China that week. Yeah. Or um, I think about yeah. like similarly Boris Johnson driving a JCB through a big block, a wall of foam bricks that says Brexit. He's like, well, we're going to get Brexit done by the the most heavy handed mm. metaphor you can think of. That is not that far off from some of the stuff Trump would do, like no. dancing yeah. to the village people basically throughout his entire reelection campaign. Which yeah. he's just he's just so cool. I don't know. I don't know what like <laughs> I don't like coming, his politics. Is he coming back, Trump? Is he coming he, back? I, he he's he's old, but he might try. I mean, yeah. he definitely. I think he would definitely they win the primary. The gay national anthem. Did you know that? <laughs> well, I mean, they, you, they love it when I do the YMCA. <laughs> they do. Or like like Trump tweeting about hey, how he has some grudge against the Vanity Fair editor and talking about Sissy Graydon Carter's bad food restaurants are no longer scare quotes hot like yeah, he has his, a style about him that you're just, just like they're inimitable you're insane yeah. i think because we're sort of journalists we we feast off it and that probably mm. is an unhealthy thing to want i mean you you know you want in a sense bad things to happen i suppose as a journalist and it's terrible to yeah. say it but i remember when trump arrived in the uk he um was on the plane he didn't get off the plane for about 10 minutes but Everyone knew what he was doing because during that 10 minutes, a tweet was uploaded and it was the one that said, Marilyn and Sadiq Khan is a stone cold loser. <laughs> so he asked us that when the plane landed, he thought, okay, let's just tweet about Sadiq. I'll now get off the plane. Sadiq Khan, very weak, very short, don't like him. No longer hot, sad, <laughs> actually. A lot of people, they vote for Sadiq Khan, but they shouldn't, they don't. They, I'm actually much better. The president of France said so. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I my mean, goodness. well, I think that's one of the bringing it back to your show. I think the way in which you just let people talk is quite unusual because if you compare it to like other, like, I mean, you've got kind of like, I, I took two LBC shows as an example, like Mike Graham, who's obviously like an extreme, like right wing hegbanger, banger. And then you've got like James O'Brien, who's kind of like a liberal, but they're both basically like yelling at their listeners <laughs> and kind of either in agreement or in disagreement or whatever it might be. Like Mike like, Graham basically interviewing the, the Insulate Britain activist who was a like, carpenter and he was like yeah oh, and mike this is yeah brilliant it's about growing concrete yeah trees you can't grow concrete you can trees or he says trees aren't renewable <laughs> he's yeah, like saying well, how, what kind of environmentalist are you if you're a carpenter and this guy's desperately trying to explain that carpentry is actually a sort of sustainable but, but, but he's just, he just very he's just very coolly it's like well i work with lumber which is a sustainable resource and he's like no it's not he's like well yeah. it's more sustainable than concrete like, no it's not he's like you can't grow concrete he's like yes you can yeah. <laughs> that to me was another one it was like that clip was- this share it it was it was a beautiful moment. I think Mike probably enjoyed the fact that it went, you know, trended around the world. Right. But I, yeah. I don't see it necessarily as a funny, it's probably a BBC thing. I sort of think I'm just opening a slot for the the listener and, and mm. you know, if they do something 
utterly wrong on the facts, I should correct them. But yeah, yeah. I don't really want to sort of argue them down. I think they've been, they spend so long watching TV programs and listening to radio programs where the only people who are ever yeah. allowed to speak have got titles. You know, the cabinet minister, the MP for whatever, um, Sir Roger Bufton Tufton, who is the chairman of the something committee. Next week's guest, actually. By the, end yeah. of, yeah, <laughs> by the end of it, you're asleep. So you just think, oh my goodness, suddenly we've got this beautiful moment where the listeners allowed on. But funnily enough, the, the person who sat in my chair, uh, let's just think, 20 years ago, a guy called Jimmy Young, you mm-hmm. won't know him, no. Okay. I don't so, think I know him either. Well, but... Sir Jimmy was, let's just put it, he, he reluctantly decided to leave in 2002 at the age of 83, mm-hmm. which is quite something. He'd yeah. done 50 years on the air, I think. It was amazing. He was Britain's Elvis, basically. And then Elvis mm-hmm. came. And just destroyed his singing career. So he then started broadcasting. And he was broadcasting as a DJ, Sir Jimmy. And then in the 70s, he, you know, he wanted to do something more. And he said, will you let me have some politicians on? And they had let him have, I think it was then probably an opposition politician, Jeffrey Howe. And this was about 1971. They would have been junior government minister. And somebody, somebody rang the production office here and said, this guy's an idiot. And then it was written down on a piece of paper and it was taken through to Jimmy. And Jimmy said, well, we've just had someone call in saying you're an idiot. And that was the birth of the show. That was, that was the, and it was almost an accident. He had to go out to the phone box yeah. to do it. Is that right? I'm leaving the pub. So, so someone actually yeah. rang in and got through and then they thought, well, maybe we should just say what the number is and we'll get someone, a couple of extra people in to take the calls. And we're pretty much still there in 2022 because, you know, the, my, the comments I'm given still come through on pieces of paper. We had a guy say during the Brexit negotiations, uh, I, I served in the Second World War. This is Cyril from Somerset. The Brexit negotiations are not going well. It is time to bring in the SAS. <laughs> <laughs> for their negotiating skills yeah, exactly. if they can deal with a hostage situation exactly. yeah that would be funny to have like you know Michelle Barnier sat there with three guys who have like black tape across their eyes um, who are just you know discussing in quite earnest the details of the fisheries agreement it was almost coming to that what was that we had well, what was one you'd be really you'd love this it was this production idea of what let's instead of judges deciding sentences because they always get it wrong let's mm. get mums to sentence serious criminals <laughs> So yes. we bring in a yes. panel of mums and then we run certain <laughs> cases. Of yeah. We run certain cases past them and what would you yeah, have given okay. them? And they basically they're really inventive. They keep saying when the worst scenarios come up that the, the criminal should be, and I quote, forced to wipe the bums of old people in care homes. And this we we're thinking this is a bit <laughs> making us a bit queasy. And then we get a complaint from a care home saying uh, it is extremely offensive to ask any of my residents to come into that close contact with criminals mm. and no part of their body should be used to punish crime. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the panel of yeah. mums to punish criminals, and they believe me, the criminals would not offend again. I think that's the thing. I think it's that the it's the stuff on the show that isn't political that I find the most fascinating. I mean, there's certain stuff. I think, and for this reason, the the Doctor Sarah segment on, yes. is that on a Monday. Is it's on Medical Monday? It yeah. sometimes works, sometimes doesn't because we we try and do. So we got it. We got we're struck between doing very common illnesses like have you ever mm. had the flu, yeah, and really uncommon ones like. Have you got Capgras syndrome, which is the syndrome where you think all your friends have been replaced by imposters? So oh, we right, go okay. from the very common to the very rare. But anyway, sorry, yeah. I interrupted. But yeah, so I, I think like you, you often get listeners phoning in with stuff where I'm sort of like, oh, the KGB couldn't have got that one out of me. Um, I, I've got one here where it's just um, you're taking a call, and the exact line was Finley and Gloucester. You're ashamed of your ingrowing toenail. Is that correct? <laughs> And then he's sort of going on quite a long rant about this ingrowing toenail. And then you follow up with, so maybe toenails are like wisdom teeth, Sarah. We don't really need them. And then I've just got Sarah as making a sort of noise. (laughs) (laughs) We had a guy who had an infection in his penis. And he said it was caused, it had been traced back to his goldfish. And, you oh, know, God. the, yeah. Behind closed doors and well, all that. Well, exactly. Yeah. The, I just thought, thank you for your call. Next caller is, you know, I know quite where that came from. So, yeah. The goldfish is an idea. I mean, the medical ones can sometimes make you a little bit queasy. But, but, we, all, but they, we do think it's a great connector, medical stuff. You know, everyone's got something. 
Mm. But yeah, I think I think that that way in which you just kind of sail through this kind of in a very like I, I think that there's a like um, I definitely I think you and Richard Madeley are both people who sometimes get the the Alan Partridge comparison <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, but it almost seems like a like a function of broadcasting. I think what I want to ask you is sort of is is the Jeremy Vine on air kind of a constructed character? Uh, oh, clever question. I well, of course, I am on air now, so I would have to respond no. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I, I would say that you know, if I'm at home watching TV, I'm, I'm sort of slumped over and my eyes are glazed. When mm. you're on the air, you're jazz hands. Like yeah. so, it's like this is the most exciting story we're ever going to have this week. Just listen and call us. You know, so obviously, there's a bit of that with all broadcasters. You can't. The, the only person who ever pioneered. Anything that was mm. not that in this country was a guy called Jeremy Paxman, right? And he was, mm. uh, well, good evening. There's no news tonight. I don't know why you're here, really. He was, the, but that that only yeah. certain people he, could he do He would call a caller an idiot, I think. Yeah, he Paxman, would if he had any calls. Yeah. Um, I think, <laughs> I, I do think that the sh- somebody said to me once, your show is basically a comedy show, isn't it? And I thought, God, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. But I know there's, I mm. have to take everything seriously. Yeah. And sometimes there are very silly calls that I have to take seriously. So somebody says the way to cure hay fever is by leaning back in a wooden chair and putting flowers in your mouth. I say, yes. And uh, how do you make sure the chair doesn't fall over? You know, um, and I realized this is a crazy conversation where if your ability to ask an indulgent question of someone who's (laughs) completely mad is something I'm fascinated. Well, that's important. I think that indulging, no, not indulging the listener, but but hearing them is important. Yeah, Mm. I suppose. I I mean, in the end, it's just best if we only remember the listener, not me. So I'm interested. Um, I see this argument kick back and forth, and and I do think that sometimes it can be very obvious it's a bad idea to air someone's opinions, and other times like there's genuinely no way of knowing. But like for example, uh, LBC had a guest on, which I believe had been screened deliberately, who basically went on this tirade about um, you know indigenous Britons and how we need to kick all the non-white people out, you know, to to, to basically like otherwise we'll be a cultural replacement, demographic suicide. It was full on like white nationalist stuff, and she was a was the same person who said that David Lammy could be British but not English. No, I think it was someone was else because this one I think was, that was also. This woman, and, and and just just absolutely like perfect scenario yeah. alert. She was a vegan hot yoga instructor in Ibiza, but she <laughs> was, she's English, and she's on the that, mums panel. That's yeah. one of the more extreme examples. But I'm just wondering what your take is because on one hand, it's like. Some people call in deliberately to say things as inflammatorily as possible. Some people, that is their honest opinion. There's an argument to be made, I think, that you could say, well, this is at least an opinion that someone has in good faith, even if we strongly disagree with it. But I'm also a little bit wary sometimes because I feel like that can be kind of gamed. And, you know, like it seems to me in America, we're constantly having to hear out right-wing opinions. And like there's this, what's happened with Trump about sort of like, why, why, why we just need to listen to the people of West racism, Pennsylvania or whatever. It's like, I'm from Indiana. Like I know you go into a bar in my parents' hometown and like it's your, if you ask a question about say, for example, mm. Obama or Black Lives Matter, like you will hear the N word. Like that's yeah. going to happen because that's how Southern Indiana is. And so there's a part of me that's sort of like, I don't want to like just say, oh, surely it's all good faith. Everyone needs to be heard. But I don't do this for a living and you do. And that's what I'm wondering. Like, is A, is that a moral kind of quandary you struggle with? And B, what, is your, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, my default setting is that everyone should be allowed to express their view. So fundamentally, I'm really reluctant to mm. get in and say, you can't say that. But we do work, work under a broadcasting code and we can't, we can't allow um, you know, racist hate speech and all of that. Um, and there isn't really a, a, even an issue with balance with that. We just can't do it. Um, mm. I think, I just think though that all of that said, we don't mind crazy. And we did something <laughs> I've on. I've noticed that. Yeah, we did something on conspiracy theories. We had a guy ring up who said the whole world was run by an underground network of lizards. And mm. I thought, yeah, well, that's that's a view. You know, mm. um, why not? Now, I know that that leads us into difficulty. I mean, with COVID. We ended up with, you know, it was quite strict advice really from the sort of the, the regulators about not indulging the views of people who say it's all made up. It's not a real illness. Nobody's dying from it. You can die mm-hmm. from the vaccine, whatever, whatever. And I think that that gave us a bit of a problem because you ended up with this subterranean group of people who were really angry about the MSM, the mainstream media. And even saw them call around to my house at some point, and they were just furious, like the truckers in Canada, furious about any mm. s- any idea of public sector forced vaccinations, 
anything. And I think the reason for that was that they were they we didn't really tolerate the views of people who wanted to say it's all a load of bollocks. Yeah. So we, you know, going with the science is all very well, but you probably need to hear the unscientific view too. Mm. Yeah, I I, uh, I was taken aback by this because I noticed um, when COVID first hit in my neighborhood, a lot of people signed up for group chats for mutual aid, help old people with their groceries, help bring food, things like that. Very quickly started getting spammed with lizard people 5G stuff. Yeah, and, really. And porn adverts. And it was just I want it, to meet the guy who's like, the 5G is giving you coronavirus, but in fairness, it has really improved the reception. <laughs> uh, you know what? So take the rough with this. I never got the 5G connection y- at you, all. Neither did I. I mean, I didn't mm. understand it, but I got a, no. hand, I got a hand bill, but we would see these text messages. I remember seeing one was where... Was it because a lot of it's Chinese-made infrastructure? Was that was That, that was the, the argument, logic, yeah. Because the, the, yeah. the virus originated in Wuhan, but also like... I saw uh, things along the lines of them basically saying that the COVID vaccine will kill you. Anyone who's got the COVID vaccine is going to have a, a chip in their body activated by the U.S. military, which is flying a Comanche helicopter around London right this minute, which is very funny because mm. the Comanche was never put in production. So there's one of them in a museum somewhere and that's it. <laughs> so a Manchurian candidate who suddenly gets a powerful desire to buy a Dodge Charger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of these things where I saw this happening and I, I could tell that the, the BBC wasn't going to go that route of, of indulging COVID denialists like, like crank stuff. But I also, in the US, I was always very wary of it because it felt as though this always, there were, a, there were people who understood how they could game the system in terms of getting views out there. And that's how you wind up with like Proud Boys, alt-right stuff in America, you know, being in newspapers, being taken seriously, people talking about like great replacement theory and things along those lines. And it's just like, if you're an average person, you might be like, I don't know what he's talking about. But if you know what's being said or you know what to look for, like it's obviously a very troubling thing. And yeah, so so interesting. And I don't, you know, in the end, we sort of got through the pandemic, we had the vaccine, the vaccine sort of worked, and we're here and we're all sitting in a room together without much space between us. And mm. that's all working well. Um, but I, yeah, I'm left wondering whether we should have aired more of the doubters. I suppose the doubters were not so much doubting the science, they were more doubting, do we really need to lock down for this bloody thing? I mean, if you can't die from it under the age of 80, what are we doing here? And that will be that's a genuine debate for the rest of time. Yeah, and it was different in the U.S. because they did give people money. Not everyone, but a lot of people got money either from the federal government and the state, or as I understand it, besides like a slight increase in universal credit, there wasn't anything comparable here. So I understood why there was probably more opposition to lockdown measures here because of just people's financial situation. But it was very it was interesting to watch this. And now, like you said, we're we're kind of coming to the tail end of it. Um, there's a part of me that wonders because um, for us, if somebody views those kinds of things on an episode, we'll probably just can the entire interview. Like we record mm-hmm. an episode, we put it out with a delay, we don't do live stuff. Like we try to be cautious about it. But I'm interested because everything about your show involves sort of giving the mic to the Yeah, it to does. The public. So you mean if somebody on this on your podcast was Yeah, to I say, mean if somebody yeah. on my podcast was trying to say that like like I'm I'm Jewish, if someone was like, oh yeah, the Jews are controlling us with five G to do COVID, I would be like, yeah that how did you find that out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, please, please, uh, yeah, yeah. Stop, stop airing my secrets on on, on Mike. No, I would, I, I would cut that kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that sort of, of stuff happening. No, I see, I see. But, um, but like, obviously, there's been some disagreements. We've had people who've had pretty sharp disagreements about stuff like the war in Ukraine or vaccine passports or things along those lines. And like, it doesn't always line up. No, that's, yeah, but that's fine. I, I'm, all I, I think is whether if people say, I don't know, the vaccines killed millions of people when clearly it hasn't. Or the vaccine, mm. as you say, is a way of implanting a chip. You know, I remember that first woman to get, I can't remember her name. Was it Margaret something? Was it the Margaret Hill? Who was it? The first woman to get the vaccine. You'll know this, Milo, because you're so good on oh, stuff. The right. second person was called, called William Shakespeare, bizarrely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were, the PR fail there. When, you, when your surname is Shakespeare and you're having a son, you know what you have to do. <laughs> he was very excited. But why did they he? make him the second? He should have made him the first. But anyway, the, the, someone tweeted, you know, what Margaret has given us her view of what it's like. Her first day with a Bill Gates chip inside her. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. her first game. <laughs> day controlled by bill gates yeah so bill gates yeah i very mean it was excited to get control of maureen yeah. I, i'm just with teenage daughters the the thing that oh, it's quite mm. educational for them i think this whole covid thing because it shows them the power of the state you know the, the state could actually mm. force us to lock down i think it's incredible we didn't think mm. they were involved in our lives that much at all so that's that's yeah. the big thing from it and it did make going back to radio shows and all that i think it made 
the connection with the audience much closer actually because they were mm. a lot of them were not speaking to anyone they weren't hearing sure. any voices during the day sure. i certainly listened to the show a lot more Did being, you? being at home all the time yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and i was thinking about this too because yeah like the extent to which especially friends of mine who live in the north who were talking about like people who were living on really reduced incomes like mm. they wanted to work and the lockdown was sort of preventing that and like that i understood why there was much more opposition to it as opposed to in america where unless you live in like Florida, where they just canned it entirely. Yeah, they you, did, didn't you, they? You got, yeah, some of the states refused the expanded yeah. unemployment. That's that's an extremely American move. I also move. kept seeing shots in, on the seaside in Florida, and everyone was behaving as normal mm-hmm. when the re- rest mm-hmm. of America mm-hmm. was in lockdown. I couldn't work yeah. it out. And then yeah. Florida had the worst death rate overall for a while. But like, it, obviously, it's different in the pre-vaccine era than versus now. But like, mm. it, it, it is interesting to watch this because I realized that most of my feed, most stuff I get is still from people in America. And there was just a very different response in this country. Mm. And so like, Obviously, we uh, we appreciate your willingness to interface with everybody and everyone because, like, yeah, this is for us. It's doing a call-in show. We would probably well, we probably yeah. get offcom complaints very quickly. <laughs> I tell you what, I thought based on the COVID and all that is that a lot of this comes down to intergenerational warfare, mm. and and so in COVID, what you see is there's a split all the time between you probably say pensioners and the rest or 19 year olds and 90 year olds, let's say. Mm. So the older generation during COVID were saying the younger generation had ruined the country because they couldn't obey the rules. The younger generation was saying, we've thrown away our best years, love life, Mm. university. We can't go clubbing to save older people. And you're still blaming us. And then this comes in a bigger way, comes back at us with just the whole thing that younger people say that older people have taken the free houses, the free education, the free holidays, the final salary pensions, everything. And they destroyed the planet and the health service on the way out. And they've got to pick up the bill, which in this country is 2.3 trillion and counting. Older people say, no, no, no. The reason you can't afford a house is because you spend all your, this is one of my listeners, the reason they can't buy houses is because they spend all their time in Paris. So one of my listeners said. <laughs> How are you going to get a day's work done in France? <laughs> Too busy having sex with your mistress. <laughs> so so they, their view is that young people are feckless, that they, as soon as they got any money, they, they buy a flat screen TV, they never save up for a house, they just go around taking pictures of themselves. Young people say the reason we do those things, like go to Paris and take photos of ourselves, is because we we only have experiences. We don't have any long-term planning because we're never going to have a house because you took them all. And then the, the key phrase is rattling around. When old people are described as rattling around in houses, they go mad about it. Young people say, no, you've got four bedrooms free. Why can't we have them? So the whole show comes down to that. And COVID did a bit as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that one the one thing I've noted before is that actually, I think as a as a mainstream radio show goes, they you give more or I hear more airtime given to like an alternative, more left wing viewpoint. Ooh. I remember you doing a call in about uh, in the current has has the has the current crisis elucidated that a hospital cleaner is actually of more societal use than a CEO. Um, and I, I think this was Everyone the first time yes we interacted on Twitter because yeah. on Twitter on Twitter because I tweeted something about Jeremy Vine's going to turn suburban mums into Maoists. I saw that. That was yeah. you, of course. Yeah. And then you responded with something like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was. It was. Is a. Do, do we now know that a cleaner in a hospital is more important than the CEO? And of course, we always knew that. Whether they're more important than a consultant is. A, different matter we'd have to think about but yeah that but i don't know whether we're left wing because i always think that if you listen to radio four brexit was a total surprise if you listen Mm. to radio two you knew it was coming we we had a listener on and this was just before the vote the queen there was a report in the sun saying the queen probably backed brexit and phyllis capstick from sheffield said "I, i you know i i the royal expert had come on and basically said it's not true. Phyllis Capsi said, I don't know who the royal expert is. I'm sure it is true. And I said, but the royal expert says it's not. I, I don't care about experts, she said. <laughs> experts built the Titanic. And I thought those five <laughs> words summed up how it happened yeah and it's also such a great such a great metaphor for how the whole thing works because of course there was nothing wrong with how the titanic was built it was more the people who were sailing it well, that was the issue. a lot of highly intelligent people made yeah. that point after that, that went out on social media mm. but of course it's such a brilliant soundbite by that stage the argument's gone you know yeah, but yeah, you're yeah, actually yeah. right the captain was at fault not the engineers 
Mm. Um, well, and I think this is going back to the Keir Starmer thing. I think this is a thing we say a lot where it's kind of like, I mean, we're no fans of Keir Starmer, but like oftentimes we'll say he's more or less on the right side of the argument, even if he doesn't go as far as we would go, maybe. But but he's so bad at making the argument. It's so, because he's so pathologically boring and he's so bad at coming up with like a catchy way of putting it. Or if you compare him to someone like Bernie Sanders, who's good at going out there and sort of hammering tongs, yelling at people, making a point. Um, is I mean, at least Americans of, like that. Like they, they, they gravitate towards Bernie Sanders. He's very popular. Popular, uh, like mm. in terms of polling because they like a politician who's just like there's no good sons of bitches like he, he, they appreciate yeah. that it's something yeah. but isn't it amazing how our countries are so in track if you go back even to the 70s we mm. had jim callahan you had jimmy carter we had thatcher you had reagan mm-hmm. so in sync we then followed them with george well john major on our in our side of the atlantic and you mm. had george bush senior again very similar then you had Clinton and we had Blair, who were virtually brothers. And then after that, it, it went a, a bit wrong, didn't it? Because you had Obama and we had uh, Brown. We had did, Bush, though. I mean, we had Bush during yeah, that didn't whole. Quite, yeah, yes, you had whole Bush. stretch of Blair because Blair was prime minister when during Clinton's the beginning of Clinton's second term, and then was still uh, uh, Blair was still prime minister when oh no Brown had taken over. But but basically when Obama was starting the uh, starting the 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 primary campaign for 2008, Blair was still the prime minister. That's it. And yeah, so my thing that no longer works when Obama becomes president, because it doesn't quite, they don't quite ma- match up. But then I'm thinking that maybe Keir Starmer and Joe Biden are similar. I don't know. Isn't I it? mean, maybe the thing I would say is that having the black president in America created a societal freak out on the part of a certain subset of Americans in the same mm. way that the Brexit debate did here. I think that like you yeah. could say that that's going to ripple for forever. And I personally mm. think that Obama winning and winning twice, uh, there was an Onion article that was the joke post him winning in 2012 re-election that basically said like after Obama victory white hot ball of pure rage leading GOP polls for primary <laughs> like because it was just such a meltdown and I was, was living it? was it I didn't think he would have I mean I, I watched it carefully because I thought that can't be the case if he's won, but maybe it, I mean, it was the case. I think the thing about it was is that, you know, in the very, very beginning with Republicans, they they were like the Eric Cantor sort of led uh, Republican Party uh, in, the, in the House were willing to work with the Democrats. And they mm. many of them got primaried because their voters were like, no, he's literally the devil. He's trying to change America's flag to the Obama logo. He was born in Kenya. Like he's he's, he's, a, gay he's a Bolshevik. He's a, Mar- yeah. a Marxist. He's a Muslim, like all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, the Republicans were really out of step with their he's base. He's a bitch. He's a lover. And then, and effectively, the uh, the Democrats can never get that right. They, they can never. They, they the Democrats hate their base. The Republicans fear their base. And mm. Republicans were just like, oh, we can be racist. We can get on board with that. And that was. I mean, that's my take, obviously. But on on mm. our thing of shadowing presidents and prime ministers, of course, mm-hmm. I didn't even mention Trump Johnson, where there's a, an un, a slightly uncanny yeah. almost look and the populist thing and the blonde hair. There we are. And the sort of stage managed mm. buffoon thing that's obviously like meant to land with an audience. I think. I think with Trump, it's more it natural. Is yeah, Trump, it's more there, confected. There it create, I mean, yeah, Don, Boris Johnson can quote reams of classical poetry in Latin. I think maybe that is a difference. God, that's one of the, that is one of the things that really irritates me when he does that. Meanwhile, <laughs> I, so I did a classics degree and, I, and he'll just like trot out some like bit of Greek pressure. I'm like, oh man, come on. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, famously, when Trump was getting his uh, Art of the Deal book ghostwritten, he took the guy through his house and he was just sort of like, this is my favorite painting. And the guy's like, why? He's like, because it's of me and it's my most expensive painting. And that was his reason. And who like, was that guy became kind of, really interesting? The guy who wrote the art of the yeah, deal. And yeah, he started yeah. giving interviews saying it was hell. And Yeah. Well, I mean, because mm. Trump, I don't know, Trump. He made, he made a very bad deal. <laughs> Trump, Trump, as, when I was a kid, Trump was really this like business success story. People mm. look up to him. like So it's just bizarre that this happened. Yeah. So I, I think it's sort of Alan Sugar is a bit like that in the same way where he was kind of thought of as a credible businessman and then he's been given too much TV exposure. And you're like, <laughs> oh, no, this man is insane. <laughs> like, he's out of his mind. <laughs> I thought by way, by way of wrapping up, I've just got a couple of other highlights from my time Please, listening yeah. to the show. I thought this one went back excellently to what we were talking about earlier, um, which was you were reading out people's uh, home injury stories. Uh, and the quote I wrote down was, then he fell from the ladder and the shears went through his eye. Here's Roxy Music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> well, we have had a, a series of things where the record has been the wrong record. I mean, playing... Dion Bromfield, ouch, that hurt after an item about torture. <laughs> <laughs> we did us, I think we, we had we had to look at constantly look at the records to make sure they weren't causing a problem. And we had a, there was a shark attack in Australia, and we followed it with, I think it was a was it Cannonball by Damien Rice, but it, it starts. There's still a little taste of you in my mouth, so that was <laughs> that was a mistake as well. 
I thought he'd get offended yeah. by Damien Rice. Like, well, to construct that very particular People paradigm. People do complain. I mean, we had, again, we had a story about someone being electrocuted. And, you know, the producers know you've got to look through the lyrics of a song carefully. And mm. it was this town ain't big enough for the both of us. So we think that's fine. Forgetting it's by Sparks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Great song, though. Yeah. Oh, wow. Incredible yes. song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, it's, it's the motto of people getting electrocuted. They yeah. adopted that as their anthem. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I feel like that's kind of, and this is sort of a joke that we make on the show. We have a sort of periodically, sometimes we do these intro skits that Nate was mentioning earlier, and we sometimes have a, a character, Keith James, the talk radio host, who is kind of like an amalgam of different, but like the thing we do is we'll always have like, there'll be like a raging debate or something, which is like the subject of the skit. And then he will say something like, Here's Phil Collins' Susudio, and like that's the, <laughs> um, which I feel like is is sort of the soul of it in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to what you're saying about someone accusing you of running a comedy show, which I, it kind of is, but it's completely deadpan. Uh, yeah, but also the audience are very serious about what they think, so I'm, mm. I must always never take away from that. But I do. There are moments where I just the, the whole madness of it. The, the, how angry people can get about very small things. That's that's it. You know, the woman who's mm. standing. Every day in her road with a hairdryer because she's angry about speeding drivers and they think the hairdryer is a speed gun. And so she's standing <laughs> there for eight hours at a time. You know, it's just incredible. That, and people yeah. are very, very, they just cross about a lot of stuff. They're kind as well. Yeah. There's lots of good qualities too. Furious about minutiae, I think, is something we know. It's like the people who are painting their own speed signs and hanging them up on yeah, their or street. That, or is, or yeah. the story about the little boy who stood outside with a, with a slow sign and just glowered at everybody that was going over the speed limit. And he was like seven. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is a very Setting much like a re re regional British news story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the moment for me where I genuinely don't know how you kept a straight face with this one uh, was you had a woman call in about she has 10 siblings who are all in their 70s, 80s and 90s who are all still alive. And then you said, and you're all still alive. Crikey, have any of you had any brushes with death? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what she said to that. I can't remember, but that's that's a real yeah. I'll, I'll credit Richard Madeley with that one. I think um, you were possessed by the spirit of Richard Madeley. Moment. I mean, it is the classic where you saying, "How is your husband?" Well, I'm afraid he's dead. That's the classic one which uh, yeah. interviewers always always fall into. We did one today about snoring mm. and and or living in you know being in separate beds, and we just basically got. 20 calls from people who, whose husbands were loud snorers. It's not the way I expected mm -hmm. it to go because it was right. just about, does your husband sleep in a different room? I just think, actually, the Committee yeah. of mums have made their verdict. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> I think that's a great place to leave it, to be honest with Perfect you. With um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, so pleasure, much time. guys. Um, is there anything you'd like to... to, to plug to our loyal listeners i mean it seems fairly redundant no honestly i'm just delighted to meet you it's fantastic I, I should have brought some clips in and stuff but i mean whether there'd be problems playing them i don't know for copyright and everything so oh it's fine yeah we'll uh, we might we might insert a couple of clips maybe into the, yeah, into we can, the we release can pull, but, pull um, the audio off youtube yeah, should yeah be right. absolutely yeah. all right well yeah thanks again very much thank you, so much. Thank you guys pleasure.